Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voice Talk Radio Show, and my guest today is actor Barlow Jacobs. Barlow Jacobs has been in three David Lowry films, but now he's playing one of the detectives searching for Robert Redford's character in The Old Man and the Gun, a mostly true story about about love at all levels and times of life, I guess, and a gentleman bank robber. So, good afternoon, Barlow. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Goodness, it truly is my pleasure. So, where do we start? This is an amazing project. I guess I should mention it uh, opens in selective theaters on, what is it, September 28th? Yes, sir. I believe that is correct. Yes, okay. Um, All I've had a chance to see was the trailer, uh, but um, it's two and a half minutes of fantastic work. And, of course, seeing Robert Redford and, and Sissy Spacek together in a scene would, is enough to be excited about any movie. But tell yes, me, Barlow, yes, tell me, tell me about the character you play. You're a detective uh, looking for Robert Redford's character? What's he done? Yeah. <laughs> what hasn't he done? Uh, yeah, what hasn't he done? Yeah, I think I, uh, I'm a detective who is on the case, and... I, Really, Trevor, I'm more of a, a foil to uh, Casey Affleck character. I, I feel like I'm probably the detective that's not taking uh, the case as seriously, or, or at least not taking uh, Casey's character as seriously as, as needs to be. So I, I feel like that's the main role I play as somewhat of a, of a foil to him. Mm-hmm. And why might your character not be taking this case seriously? <laughs> uh, I, think it, I think probably because he doesn't take life too seriously. Um, or maybe he takes it, maybe actually probably a better way to say it, he, he, take, he takes life way, way too seriously. No. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of comedic hygiene that comes out of that. Yes, it's certainly true. 
And again, I only saw the trailer, and I'm telling you, it's just amazing. I laughed. Yeah. And then they, it, you know, it's that what I always call that mash syndrome. Laugh, 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 and then, ooh, right to the gut. I mean, it just, uh, it's incredibly moving. So. Yeah, David's really gifted. I just think the way that David deals with his tone and his film is, really exceptional and is doing like a lot of exciting things right now with that and kind of the way you just described I think there's a lot of elements of that in Old Man and the Gun yes the Old Man and the Gun and of course Robert Redford is the Old Man and the Gun who was the real Old Man and the Gun the real Old Man and the Gun is a a great question I actually don't know the full I really only know like David's interpretation uh-huh. of the story, but I do, I do know. I mean, it's a really extraordinary guy. The guy who robbed banks over a sixty-year period was caught seventeen times mm. and broke out of prison seventeen times. Wow! And yes, it, and you almost beg the question of like that. The, that almost like the you wonder if the joy in it for him was as much about the getting caught and the breaking out as it was the actual thrill of the actual robbery. Yes. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, the, his, the life that he, he has is really extraordinary in the way that Robert plays all those, just plays it as, as really exceptional. Yes. Yeah, you know... I, um, and, of course, the, the man we're talking about is Forrest Tucker, and that's the character that Robert Redford plays. I met Robert Redford ages ago when they were shooting um, All the President's Men in front of the Kennedy Center. But anyway, no name dropping. Wow. <laughs> that goes yeah. back a while. He was terrific and hilariously funny. In yeah. any case, and, of course, he starred in one of my favorite films of all time, the natural. Oh, man. Man, that what a film. film amazing. Uh, absolutely. Okay, let us get back. So the Robert Redford character, Forrest Tucker, escapes from San Quentin at the age of 70, which obviously, since you say he did this 17 times from different prisons, wasn't his first escape. So he was sort of polished at that, yes? <laughs> yes, yeah, no, he wasn't. Like, so it's like, the, initially kind of, breaks out and then again kind of does what he does he, he kind of puts his crew together that's made up in the film of Danny Glover and uh, Tom Waits yes and uh, and they start uh, pulling jobs again and then that draws the attention of John Hunt Casey Affleck's character and mm-hmm. and it kind of goes from there a little bit of cat and mouse and then you've got the relationship between Hunter and uh, I'm blanking on Sissy's character's name but uh, their relationship there's just a lot a lot going on and and like you said it is as much yeah it's just it is like in a lot of ways a meditation on on love and joy in a really beautiful way and at least that was my interpretation of it and and then you've got just an absolute all-star cast of just talent who are bringing this film to life and an all-star crew of people behind the camera who are bringing this film to life. So it really was a, a perfect storm to yield a really special film. 
and it has. I mean, I can tell that again from the the trailer. Uh, the uh, always glad to see Danny Glover, of course, and 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 of course Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek. You know, I bump into Sissy every now and then at Whole Foods. But so Casey Affleck's character, John Hunt. I mean, you're a detective; he's a detective. But you guys have two very different approaches to how to go about catching this 70-year-old bank robber, yes? Yes, correct. Like, I think, and really, it's Casey's, uh, it's John Hunt's case, and it's my character, Drew Offerman, uh, is kind of, is not, like, the main thing he's following, but but it's helping out there. And, and like I said, by helping out, he's more just kind of mocking uh, John Hunt for, because he thinks it's a little bit preposterous, um, like, what John, like, theory is on the, on the bank robbers until it isn't so preposterous, and then there's a lot of, I think there's some jealousy for my character, of his character, and, and some of the attention that John starts to get. So, so that is kind of their relationship, and, and us going after him, it is. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of pop in and out of the film to kind of deliver different bits of information uh, when they're needed, mm-hmm. and or to just make fun of uh, John Hunt. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and uh, in all deference to Casey Affleck, who I really enjoy, but he tends to play these um, single-minded, intense, and many times detective uh, characters who is relentless in pursuing issues, I think of uh, Gone Baby Gone, uh, in issues and and cases that other people are willing to forget, to overlook, you know. Listen, it's this is too, too, too big a deal you're making over something that we should just sort of let go. But he doesn't let go. His characters never let go. What do you think? I think this is like a change-up from the... So I think like anybody who's seen him in that before should expect to see a, a new take on his his pursuit of this. And just... Uh, it's a it's a character that I don't necessarily know that I've like seen him play before, which is always exciting. And, mm. and his, his performance is... Yeah, I mean, it's like all... I mean, I think he's one of the, the best working right now and, and so it's, it's, there's just so many subtle nuances in his, all his performances and, and this performance is no different. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Tell us more about that because uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I know his focus is there. He's always just dead on laser beam but uh, can you give us a little hint on how some of those differences you're talking about without giving away too much? Uh, I, I don't know. I want to be careful. Um, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I don't get in tr- tr- trouble with anybody, but but I but I think it's just without. And also, it's like it's Casey's character, so I, I, it's hard for me to get into the head of a, of another performer mm. and kind of what he was thinking. But as far as what what is it up? It's just it's, yeah. It's just a, I think Casey plays like broken flawed character so beautifully yes. in a way that's so so grounded and so unshowy and so subtle but yet so universal uh, and captures so many things like I, I just think about Manchester by the Sea like his performance in that yes, and just 
just where it's just I saw so much of myself in that character, and I think I'm not alone in that. Of just that kind of, I don't know, he creates this uh, mirror for you to, that almost re- to reflect yourself out of. And I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but mm. uh, it's just. And I think in this one, he, he is. I think there's just a lot of people who can connect with kind of where he's at in his plight, and not just the. Uh, in his life and, and career and whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he, um, again, judging from the trailer, everyone is just dead on. It's just amazing. And and all the subtleties, all the uh, the subtext. Um, the, I mean, how does a 70-year-old stop to help a woman with car trouble who knows nothing about car trouble and finds the love of his life? How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I would I would say go, go see the film and find out. Yes, <laughs> um, it's really beautiful. It's like and really also really believable. Like these two characters who are at a specific stage uh, of their life, and and it's a lot of times the you know that aspect of that story doesn't doesn't get told a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet it's also just in, in a really or if it is told, it always seems like the it's very melodramatic and David kind of turns that story on its ear a little bit yet without reinventing it as well. So it's just a really, yeah, it's just really sweet. Almost. I mean, you could easily see those two characters being like 15 or 16 years old as well and and kind of love. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It it is. And that's, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly the impression I got from the trailer. I mean, you sit these two icons down at a, a a table in a bar uh, and they have a conversation and you know, that's to me is what acting is all about. Uh, uh, I mean, David Lowry gets gets his visuals, no question. He gets those shots. He gets those pictures that tell the story. But then you have these two sit there and talk to one another. And basically, from what I can see from the trailer, it's really kind of their first date. Their inter, inter, you know, what can be awkward. <laughs> I remember yeah. too many first dates. I'm sure you do too with those awkward conversations. And yet... The, these two characters, uh, played by Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek, are um, couldn't be more, as you say, they are down to earth. It's conversation at its best that appear can do can be shown so well in film because it's it, it's the subtleties, it's all that's going on behind the eyes and the, the pauses. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away, but but to see that um, and. And then to take away from that what you and I have taken away is it's just like it's first love all over again. Too much? Yeah. No, no. I, I think it's beautiful. And, and I think um, I think there's just a general, you alluded to this in your opening. I mean, just getting to see two actors of their caliber is just crazy to me. Like, I remember talking to David, it was just how crazy it is that they've never been in a movie together I know um, <laughs> and it's just like it's just that was like mind boggling in itself so there is a certain just excitement of seeing two actors who are so well respected uh, are so accomplished and have done so much 
getting to share the screen kind of um, in the twilight of their career. Mm. And it was just really, really beautiful. Oh, yes, absolutely. And on that beautiful note, we're going to take a short break. Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm talking too much, I know, but it just, it's such a beautiful experience. Um, <laughs> yes, we are talking to, and I'm going to listen to more, <laughs> actor Barlow Jacobs, who plays a detective in David Lowry's The Old Man and the Gun, starring Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek. Stay with us, please. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Today's film tilts to the melodramatic edge, often veering close to the soap operatic cliff that we might normally choose to avoid. But tilts and veers do not a disaster make. Looking back, after the wedding becomes a nice surprise. Danish director Susan Beer unfolds a story told mostly in English about the importance of family, no matter how unconventional its structure. Jacob seems way too good to be true. He is dedicated to saving the street children of India by operating a Mumbai orphanage dedicated to their welfare. The mission is on critical financial footing, and he is presented with an opportunity to take his case to Jorgen, a Danish billionaire who might come to their rescue. Back in Denmark to meet with Jorgen, Jacob is invited to the wedding of Jorgen's daughter, where, surprise, he meets Helene, his former lover and now Jorgen's wife. But the timing, oh my... Could their daughter possibly be Jacob's daughter? Did Jorgen set him up? This fascinating melodramatic tale takes many twists and turns. But rather than falling off the edge into the never-go-near category, After the Wedding poses interesting questions with its ultimately believable and unexpectedly satisfying plot. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is actor Barlow Jacobs, who has been, I know we've mentioned, in three David Lowry films. That alone is quite an accomplishment. David Lowry is an amazing director. But now we're talking to Barlow Jacobs about the role he plays as a detective searching for, well, maybe not searching for, maybe not as serious about searching for, but we'll see when you go see the movie, for the Robert Redford character in The Old Man and the Gun. The Old Man and the Gun will be released in selected theaters on September 28th, and therefore that's why we're having this conversation. So, Barlow, back to you. We were chatting a bit in between segments you were saying something that I feel very strongly about, so I'm going to let you do most of the talking about it, but to just to set it up, being in a film on camera is an amazing thing, especially with such talent as David Lowry has pulled together for The Old Man and the Gun, yourself included. But in addition to that, maybe what some of our listeners don't realize is the amazing experience when you're on set, but not on camera, with all this talent around both both the crew and the actors and, you know, everybody, and what they're doing. Tell me how how you felt about that. How did, how in any any of the films that you've done with David, but particularly The Old Man and the Gun? Well, I think with The Old Man and the Gun, you just have, like you mentioned, this just... It's like ne- it's next level talent. I mean, with and people who have had, I mean, 
a real impact in my personal journey is just as an artist, like at Tom Waits is one of my heroes. Mm. Uh, his music and just his art across the board has played a, a significant part in my creative development since I was a teenager. So to get to be in the presence of somebody, even though I don't share the screen with him ever, but just to be on set with yes. with, with him was a, a real thrill and, and very much, I felt very childlike in, in that regard. And then I think just interacting, like just seeing all the, these different talents that you admire, getting to see their process, Mm-hmm. And for me in particular, because I'm not just uh, acting, like I'm a writer and a filmmaker as well, and so I geek out about all the all the different things that go into making a film. So to be on a set with that has that kind of talent behind the camera as well is is really beautiful. And then I just love the way that that David runs his sets and, and I love just the team that he surrounds himself with and uh, his producers uh, Toby Holbrook and, and James Johnson are also friends of mine and, and I just think the world of them as well and just get to see all of that that machine yes. uh, at work is just it's just a lot of fun and you know it is fun uh, and, and uh, but at the same time I, I want the audience to appreciate the work, what what we see as the final product on the big screen, on the little screen, is is a beautiful accomplishment of collaboration. But when you right. but but I uh, talk a little more about because I've had this experience too. But when when you're standing there or sitting waiting your turn and all that you see, not just the the next shots being set up, but all of the guys on laptops and, and you know, and the, it, it, it's just, it's a hive of, of, uh, of creativity. Uh, elaborate a little more on that because I find that I, I just, uh, I was in Lincoln and I found myself sitting and watching what go, what went on between shots as much as I would anything that we were shooting. What are your thoughts? I think that's, that's true. I think um, when, when you're in it, or at least from a, an actor's perspective, the challenge is to be able to block all of that out or, or kind of like kind of put blinders on to all of the things that, are, that, that don't actually exist in the film, or at least for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's kind of being able to eliminate all those things and then really just lock into to the scene and, and, and what needs to be happening in the scene. And then, you know, like in the case of this film, which is, you know, I've got a very much a supporting role in this. So there's a, a lot of other big hitters who are doing the heavy lifting. And so for me, it was, I did have a lot of opportunities to kind of watch what's going on. And, and like you said, it's like you've got set decorators moving things around. You've mm. got production designer making sure that the everything is is looking the right way and, and gappers lighting the set to give it a certain mood and texture and, and just everything costume designers making sure everything is you've got your ad department who are making sure all that the talent is like background talent is doing what they're supposed to do and it really is i mean it's just this 
this amazing machine and, and when you kind of see it and all the different moving pieces that go on you really are just amazed that any movie ever gets made because yes. it's just it's, it's so intricate and I think having had the experience of producing before and, and making films I think once you've gone through that you have just this whole new appreciation for all films that get made um, I remember I, was, I became a lot less judgmental or um, persnickety about movies because you're just like it is a miracle uh, I feel like every movie that gets made from beginning to end is a, is a small miracle in yes. itself absolutely absolutely you nailed it so as you say you you were supporting role but um, you were there how how what were the days like I mean were you uh, were there long uh, shoot days that is or were things my I mean, there was like, I think there are, you know, typical 12 hour days. Uh -huh. I think I was there. Um, I think I, w I worked six days on that project. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, when I say long, like a lot of times long days, there's a lot of, as you've been on a movie set, there's a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And so, so for me, in my case, I, I think there was a lot of that. And a lot of it is like I'm always not front and center. And so I'm around, but. I would say it was like I would classify two or three days of, of hard work for me and then three days of like like being there, being present and mm. doing what I need to be doing in the scene. But but that was kind of my experience with that. But I think as, as an experience of a whole, I think it, uh, this type of film that, that falls into that like it's still an independent film, but it's a bigger independent film. So you're always still trying to do a lot with not as much. You're trying to exceed your expectations, and especially in with this one, which is a, a period piece. Mm -hmm. And and so so yeah, the stakes are always high, and they're shooting on film, which I love. Yes. Uh, and so they're just yeah, it was just I, I like that energy on set where you're you're trying, you're attempting to do something. Just sometimes beyond your means or beyond what would you you would think being able to. So there is a little bit of a Mission Impossible element to that that mm -hmm. I, I really like. And and again, like you had, had such a talented group of people doing it. So it's also being able to do that in a way that doesn't feel chaotic and feels uh, exciting is is a definitely a, a trick and one that they accomplish. You know something that uh, just occurs to me, I don't know why, perhaps they were just so uh, terrific in their roles, you don't think about it, uh, but another thing this film is doing, which I'm, I'm seeing more of and very appreciative of, it is something portrayed by senior citizens that has appealed to all ages. What about that for a question? What do you think? Oh, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think this is a film that really will, like I, I said, it was like a lot of films I'm involved in are not films that I necessarily think that my parents would love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and and this is one that I think my my peer group would, would love. Peer group below me would love. But I think it's one that that my parents' generation is really gonna embrace and really love because it is like we've already said, like, uh, you have Robert references. They basically have been so much of a big part of their movie 
healing experience through their informative years of their life. Yes. And so, so it's almost to see them come together for this, I think will be a real treat for them. And then just even in the subject matter, uh, it's never too late. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's another, another like kind of undercurrent theme, again, my interpretation. And so I think that is a, something that, that's something that resonates with me, but I, Obviously, I think it's something that really resonates with an older generation. Yes, and I'm so glad you said that phrase, it's never too late. I was hoping you had that reaction. It's never too late. But tell us a bit more. I mean, you've alluded to other movies you've done and that you produce and write. Give us some examples of that and and how's that going? And how do you feel, you know, when people ask me, why do you want to take this small role? I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> Whether I'm directing or writing or acting, I'm, I'm there. But uh, so tell me, what... What else have you been up to, Barlow? Uh, right now, I've been busy. Like as far as the other things I've done, like I produced a, a film that was a Sundance a few years ago called uh, "Lo and Behold." Oh yes. And I I, I, I wrote and uh, starred and produced that film, and and so that's some of the things that some of the things I've produced, and then the thing that I'm uh, working right now, I'm actually about to direct. Uh, my first feature, and we're in pre-production on that. And it's a film called Below the Drop, and it's a experimental documentary, and it's a meditation on death through hunting and psychedelics. Mm. And so I'm very excited about that. But that's what um, taking up most of my my focus and energy right now. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what that's what I've been up to right now and what I'll be up to probably for the next uh, next six months to a year. And, and that's another aspect of film we should uh, we should elaborate on just a bit anyway, that uh, this is not an overnight project. No film is. And when you wear yeah. as many different hats as you do, you live from beginning to end in the process. Tell us Tell us a little more about why it takes so long, especially if it's an independent film. Yeah, well, I feel like when you have, like, what money, it's always hard, but what money does is it usually helps the wheels uh, on the bus go round and round a lot faster. Yes. And and so with independent film, it's just if you're trying working to do something that is as high quality as something that is has more money, it's just a matter of, Taking more, it takes more time to kind of find the different people to give you the deals that you need to do and and to accomplish it so that you're still doing it or, or that you're a lot of times you're asking someone to do something for a rate that is below what they normally get paid because they're already accomplished at what they do but are passionate about your project but they just have to do it in their own time so a lot of times you're having to to make deals like that where it's not necessarily moving at the speed you'd like it to but it's moving at the quality you would like it to mm-hmm. and and so a lot of times that's why with independent films it does take a little bit longer a lot of times it's getting financing can t- take a while um with the independent film so and then it's just uh yeah a lot of it is just getting the money and everything in place and then with the edit like sometimes like it's, it's also the way that any individual director works there's a lot of directors who like to spend 
months and months in the editing room, moving back and forth. And then there's some who feel really confident about what they shot on the day and, and have a really clear vision of what they want and kind of go in and knock it out in the editing room in a month or two. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just, it's always there. So I think there's always different reasons for why, why film can take so long, but it is just a gradual process because you've got so many different post-production elements of, of color correction, sound design. Uh, sometimes if you didn't get the right sound you had on the day that you're doing ADR, so you're getting bringing actors to redo lines or, or if there's a scene you need to reshoot, um, then you go, like in this case, like on David's film, like there was some, some additional scenes that he wanted to pick up. And so, so I went back to pick those up. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of different things that lend it to being, can lend it to being a longer process. But it is just, it does, take a, it takes a long time to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yes. <laughs> That's certainly the, the shorter version of that answer. You're absolutely right. It takes I mean, a long time. It's a wonderful year, that's for sure. Yeah. It's a wonderful no, year. All right. Well, I'm sorry to have to go. Uh, Barlow no, Jacobs. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, you know, it's, um, it's always, as you can tell, exciting for me to talk to uh, people in movies uh, who make movies, filmmakers, and um, Barlow Jacobs is no exception to that. This has been a great conversation. I thoroughly have enjoyed it anyway. Uh, the Old Man and the Gun. We've been talking to actor Barlow Jacobs, The Old Man and the Gun, directed by David Lowry and starring Robert Redford and uh, Sissy Spacek, Casey Affleck. I mean, it's uh, packed with talent in front of and behind the camera. And we've been very honored today to have an opportunity to get a little peek in to what's going on with The Old Man and the Gun with actor Barlow Jacobs. Barlow, thank you so very much. Oh, and of course, remember, uh, The Old Man and the Gun is opening in selective theaters on September 28th. Barlow, given that you are wear so many hats, you want to give us a website of uh, where we can see your work and, and maybe be uh, an angel. Who knows? Well, I've got, uh, I really am social media wise. Like, I'm. I'm I'm not up the game, but I think you can follow me. I've got an Instagram account that I'm on fairly regularly, which is just uh, at Barlow Jacob. And you can find Twitter's the same, that everything at Barlow Jacob. Keep it simple. That's what I say. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Barlow Jacobs, and we wish you all the best in your film career wherever it leads, okay? Thank you so much, sir. You have a great day. You too. Bye now. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. 
Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Trump's media-assisted grift versus mothers like Susan Bro and Aretha Franklin. The evidence of our never being completely a united people is undeniable, particularly every time a segment of the population confuses patriotism with space force grift and belief in a supreme being with faith in a pied piping carnival barker. There are, however, truths we must finally face as self-evident. The ideals of perfection enlightening our American dream in mere mortals is, like evolution, in constant motion. Sometimes seemingly blind ambition following the yellow brick road with no guiding beacon of light from the hill. However, hope's truth is, our journey to perfection doesn't require perfection, only effective peaceful assembly. Our dreams of unity, civility, and humanity are nonetheless justifiably encouraged by our courage to learn from our past without repeating it, perhaps even extending joint ownership of justice for all to all. Living in a trumped America where a towering fee allows firmly ensconced organized crime in private enterprise and our multi-leveled governments, there is little value in media headlines and political talking heads unless serving to ignite truth-seeking citizen sleuths. When a people are both poised and tainted by nefarious branding as prerequisite for infectious misconceptions, understanding is bombarded by cravings for the convenience of obvious villains and marketable heroes. However, dispatching Andrew Jackson's racism, John Wilkes Booth's hatred, Trump Pence Sessions' bigotry, Ivanka, Laura Ingram, and Dana Loesch ruse, and denying access to hacks like Putin, Sheldon Adelson, and their Koch brothers is best evidence of American greatness. Now embracing being Newton's equal opposite reaction to evil genius, let freedom ring from sacred parchment through us to Native Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, and Puerto Rico Americans, both on the mainland and in Puerto Rico. Regardless of sexual preferences, let us shore up America's New Deal reconstruction for all Americans.
Rescuing abused refugee families seeking asylum, we rescue ourselves. Stoking righteous indignation for leadership elected for the proposition that all are created equal, having instead disappeared hundreds of innocents, we receive now the fruits of an administration unhinged from morality. Now let us rise and demand all political parties melt the frigid grip of ice on families running from abusive governments as abusive as our own. And let us eject all conservatives choosing KKK residue of white supremacists as a family value. In a child's distress, mothers are a healing balm. Now it is America that is in distress and mothers, whether married suburbanites or single millennials, whether Caucasian or full of color, believers in a universe beyond themselves are going it alone. Regardless of political affiliation, mothers remain the too often overlooked power necessary for America to heal itself. Mothers and the women they elect to rebuild community, to reconstruct neighborhoods, to fight the good fight for a better future for all children, including mothers too often invisible to us because of their color, who, like Susan Bro, snatch hope from the jaws of tragedy. Although seldom herald for their heroism over America's 242-year war with itself, daughters, wives, and mothers of all colors, all beliefs, all with their own dreams of service to national and individual ideals, have prevailed on the battlefields of preserving children, protecting family and home, and defending every woman's right to income parity. Courage isn't a smearing louse with a tiki torch, and Charlottesville is no more ground zero nor front line in America's infighting over racial equality and gender justice than any town USA. Like Virginia State Police Burke M. M. Bates and Lieutenant H. J. Cullen, Alicia Thomas, Melissa Williams, Miriam Carey, and Tanisha Anderson probably didn't plan on being another tragic but temporary headline. Historically, liberals have been battling conservatives with one arm tied behind our backs, not only by the cold and timid avoiding the arena, but by our own duplicity regarding women and people of color. In America, headlines and heroes are chosen by their eye-catching potential convenient media resale. Because we are addicted to, if we can label it, we can shelve it without expending any energy for internalized empathetic comprehension. Charlottesville's August 2017 was not about Confederate statues, and anyone who says it is, is looking for an easy way out. Charlottesville's August 2017 was proof of what can happen when our institution's top-down ringleaders betray the essence of the land of the free, choosing instead to grant carte blanche to those fearful of losing supremacy over others, whether possessed by the evils of NRA gunmen, corporatism, sexual predators, or government bigots. Neither paralegal Heather Heyer nor her mother Susan Bro began August 12, 2017, expecting or hoping to become media sensations. But unlike the dozens injured that day in Charlottesville by a hate-driven car, death snatched a daughter and enlisted a mother for the work yet to be done. Like mothers everywhere, knowing the fear hate breeds clings desperately to the defense of its last hurrah, Susan Bro, nonetheless persists. Now, let us lift every voice, 
sing praises for, and follow the example of mothers. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.